Hamas and the Bible. So what is going on today in Israel, or as the world would perceive it as Palestine, what is happening and what does the Bible say about this? Is this end times? Are these things that we as believers should fear? Um, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the world say? Who's right? Who's wrong? And so we're going to be diving into um, this. And man, it is going to be hard to keep it short. So if I'm getting boring, just look at me. Dan, when it's your turn. All right, because there's a lot of stuff. It's so deep, so rich, and it's so fascinating to look throughout history because ultimately it is his story. It is the creator's story. It's in the name history. It is his story. Oh, man. Micaiah. He's, he's supposed to love not just worship, but when I talk too. No. Let's pray. Ask God to bless this time that he may be glorified. So, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, you are so good to us. You are so loving and you are so merciful. And Lord, thank you that we can come together and worship you freely. We thank you for this body of believers and um, for you establishing us here in Enoch. We thank you, God, uh, for your son. We just thank you that, um, as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. And so we thank you for that, that we have hope in Jesus. And so we ask God that you would uh, speak uh, this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word, that you would uh, be glorified and honored um, with the words that, uh, that we have to speak. Empty me, empty myself and Dan. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through us and um, that we may see what is happening is still part of your plan. So we thank you, God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control. We just ask, God, that you would be um, here moving amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Israel, Hamas, and the Bible. So why we're talking about this is because on October 7th of this year, 2023, there was an attack on Israel, right? There was an attack on Israel by a group called Hamas, where they went into a music festival and slaughtered innocent people. It was a surprise attack, and they came in and killed over 1,200 people and injured over 6,000. This is one of the greatest, or not the greatest, but this is one of the most horrific things to happen since the Holocaust to Israel. Since the Holocaust, to put it into perspective, we had over 2,000 people die in 
But we have, in the United States of America, we have millions of people. I can't remember exactly the number that we have here, but we have 2,000 people. Israel has a fraction of the amount of population that the United States has. And so this tragedy would be considered 10 times worse than 9-11. This that has happened in Israel, does this mean it's end times? A lot of questions are being raised. Does this mean it's end times? What is happening here? What is going on? Let me tell you, we're going to start with some stuff. The history of Israel and Palestine. Because this is not anything that is new under the sun. This isn't anything that has never happened before. This isn't taking God by surprise. What is happening is history repeating itself. Hamas. Who is Hamas? Hamas was originated in 1987. It is an Arabic Muslim organization that came to be to go against the Palestinian freedom operation or organization. Hamas is an Arabic Muslim organization that is pushing for Islamic political power and gain. It is Islamic. And they have even partnered with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna martyr this name, but Hezbollah. Hez, Hez, Hezbollah. Hezbollah, who would be considered their enemy because of the two different Muslim or religions that stem from Muslim, the Shiites and the Shunis. They have even partnered to go against Israel. Now what the world is telling you is that they are justified because Israel has come in and overthrown the Palestinians. And they have taken over their land. They have come in, and they, they're the ones that started this wrong in the first place, and we're just justifying it by coming in and taking back what was originally Palestine's, or the Palestinians. This isn't the case. And, and as we look at history and as we look at the Bible, this is not what happened. So Hamas is a political organization looking to further the religion of Muslims, the Islamic State. And this is why they would be considered a terrorist group. Now, what they are doing 
is they're taking Palestinians and they are hiding behind them and using them as a shield. They're putting everything, all of their war, all of their, their missiles and all of their, their armory, they're hiding them in public places and they are hiding in public places underground to be protected because they know if Israel retaliates, they will be killing innocent civilians. And so what they are doing is they're using their own people as their shield for their protection to push their own agenda. So now that, now that Israel retaliates, you have a world that is saying Israel's in the wrong because they're killing innocent civilians. They're killing people that shouldn't be killed. They're killing children. Well, guess what? Hamas came in and they have taken elderly people captive and they have, this is graphic, but they have taken and they are taking the women and their children and they're raping them and holding them hostage. Now, Israel is going and fighting back, which I believe is justified. They're going and fighting back, but now they are using, now what they're doing is they're using this and saying, well, Israel is killing innocent Palestinians, so Israel is in the wrong. This isn't the case. So what is the history of Israel and Palestine? Now, there's a long history here, and so I've shortened it down because I can't take the, up the whole time. But there's a long history. If we go way back, and we're going to hit some of it. But we're just going to go to AD 70. AD 70, what happens? The Roman Empire is a world dynasty. Okay, they're a world dynasty. This means that they have controlled majority of the world. This is like Babylon or Assyria. We've heard of these places because they're in the, in the Old Testament. But the Roman Empire in, in AD 70, they come in and they destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. And so a lot of the, the Israelites, they flee. And they go and they're dis, disbanded among the nations. So Rome takes over Jerusalem and Israel. The Israelites, they go all over. They flee. They're no longer in control. In control. Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. Their place of worship is destroyed. And so now they are amongst other people in different nations. Then you have what is considered or what is called the Christian Byzantine Empire. They are now the, the new rulers after Rome. Then we get the Ottomans. In 638 A.D., the the Arab Muslim 
leader takes away Israel and makes it a part of a Arabic Muslim nation. Okay? But in the midst of all this, I, want, I, I think this is really important. In the midst of all this, as it goes from hands to hands, not one time is it declared a nation, a sovereign nation, or state. So since they have been dismembered in AD 70, it has not once become an independent or sovereign state or nation. And it's gone through multiple hands. And you could go and look this up. I'm not going to take the whole time of going to each one. But it's gone from hand to hand, and not one time has it been declared a sovereign nation. Then you get the the Christian European crusaders that come in and take it over. Do they establish it? No. They don't establish it. World War I comes, and a lot of people, a lot of Jews are starting to come back into their land. Now, at this time, the Palestinians, which is considered the strip of the Mediterranean, and do we have a map? Can, can I see that map real quick, please? Okay, from Tel Aviv on down, the Gaza Strip, okay, this is what would be considered... Palestine, as a, as a whole, Palestine is Israel. But the world is going to tell you it's Palestine. Okay? But the word that comes from Palestine, it is, it is all just the enemy. You'll see this, that, that this is just the enemy. But the word Palestine, a historian uses it for the first time to call the people of Israel Palestine. Now, why do they do this? Well, because they, the, the Philistines, right? The Philistines who were on this strip with Gaza and Gath. Oh, Gath, we've heard this, this, this term used before, this place. Who was from Gath? Goliath. The Philistine, right? Well, Israel's enemy. So this historian uses the word Palestine as a a way to mock Israel to, to ally them with their enemy. So they use it as a whole term. So the the name Palestine, really, there's really no history there. You can go look this up too. The Palestinians would consider themselves Arabs. Arabia, Middle Eastern. Quite interesting. But the conflict has been continuing all throughout Old Testament. Now, the world is saying, well, this was Palestine's land. This was the Palestinians. They, they own this. Let me, let me share something with you. I'm going to do this old school, so if anybody has their Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
verse 5. It says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offering, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your head of your flock. Okay. Going back a little bit. Now, after World War II, 1948, a lot, of, a lot of the Jews have now come back into the land of Israel. 1948 comes. Guess what? The United States helps Israel establish as a sovereign nation. 1948. They're back in the land that God has given them, and they're established as a sovereign nation. That's a miracle in itself right there, and that's divine intervention right there. For it, for it to go through the hands of all of these people, and you can go and look in history whose hands it went through, but for none of them to establish it as their own nation, but then Israel comes back in 1948 because the Bible says it will happen. They come back in 1948, and they are established as a sovereign nation, as Israel. Why? What we just read. Because it says, you will seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all of your tribes to put his name. Okay, this isn't a battle of land. This isn't physical. What is happening over there is not physical, and it's not a battle of who is in the right here. And guess what? Israel is. And we are called as Christians to stand with Israel and to pray for Israel. But this isn't a battle of land that is happening. This is a spiritual battle, as Ephesians talks about. It's not a war of flesh and blood that we're fighting against, but of spirits, of of the enemy. It is the principalities, the cosmic powers. It's a spiritual warfare. Why? Because God said that my name will be established here. People will hear of my name in Israel. You go back a couple chapters, and he says, You guys weren't great. You guys weren't awesome. And that's why I loved you. I picked you and chose you for my glory. So that I may be known through you. I've loved you first. You didn't love me. God chose Israel and to establish Israel for his glory, for his honor, for his name to be proclaimed. And we even see this in 2 Chronicles. The Mount Zion where the temple will be built and established, that's where his name will be established. What's on there now? A mosque. A Muslim mosque is on the Temple Mount where Christians can't even go. Where they're not even allowed to go and pray or worship. You're telling me this is a physical battle? No, because all throughout history, it has been 
Who's God's God? In Egypt, the 12 plagues. We always think, oh man, all these 12 plagues, those are horrible. And Pharaoh still hardened his heart towards them. Those were judgments against their gods that they worshiped. God was showing, I'm God over the Nile. I'm God over the sun. I'm God over the, the frogs and the gnats. I'm God. Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. What does he do? He brings in Daniel and his buddies. That, hey, we're going to give you new names because your old names, they represent God. God of Israel. So we're going to give you new names. And then what are we going to do? We're going to make you defile your God by what you eat and what you drink. So we're going to give you a whole new identity. It's always been a battle about whose God is God. It's not about the territory, but the enemy is using the territory to get people to turn against the God of Israel. And he doesn't want the promises to come true because that's doomed for him. Because you see in Genesis 12, in Genesis chapter 12, this is the promise that God makes to Abraham. He says, and I will make you, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's promise to Abraham, God's covenant to Abraham to establish a great nation. But what does that last part say? That all families will be blessed. Does this mean all Jews will be blessed? No, this is everybody. This is the whole world. Then you go to Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue, I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And what does God respond? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. And a number of the stars, and number the stars, if you are able to number them, then he, sh he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he was counted to him as righteousness. The covenant to Abram, later known as Abraham, was that, he, that God was going to establish him as a nation. He was going to establish him as a nation for the purpose to bring blessing to all families, for his name to be glorified and his name to be honored. And so we know the story. Abram, 
Abraham and Sarah have a child and his name is Isaac. But before he has the child Isaac, who does, they come up with a great plan. Well, God is super slow, so we're going to hurry this process up. Sarah's not able to have any children. So we're going to speed this up a little bit and help God out. So they do. And, and so what does Abraham do? He, they come up with this plan. They go to the servant. They have a child. What's that child's name? Ishmael. Okay, remember Hamas is an Arab Muslim organization. The religion, the, the, the Muslim religion, they believe that Allah, their God, right, gave his promise through who? Ishmael. Believe that they gave, that, that God gave the promise through Ishmael. So this is going all the way back from the very beginning of when God establishes Israel as a nation. This war, this conflict is going all the way back. And we could go very, very deep, and we don't have the time to do this, and trace all the ancestors and stuff and look at who's who, where, and everything like that. Do that on your own because it is mind-blowing. Okay, but it's going all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. Who did God promise? And even you see in, in Genesis 16, they have Ishmael. And what does God say? No. No, 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 no. That's not the son whom I am going to bring my covenant or my promise through. I will give you a son whom my covenant and my promise will go through. And we know that as Isaac. And then we have the picture of Isaac as Jesus' sacrifice when Abraham, Abraham takes Isaac to the altar. Everything is pointing to Jesus. All of this is pointing to Jesus. Then Isaac has a son, has two sons. What were their names? Esau and Jacob. Right? The Bible says that when Rebekah was pregnant, what was happening? They were fighting. They were fighting and there was conflict in the womb. So even from the very beginning, Isaac and Ishmael, then you have Jacob who, guess what? He receives the blessing. He receives the promise. Why? Because God loved Jacob and hated Esau? No, Esau gave up. And the Bible does say that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. But guess what? Esau gave up his right because he said, this doesn't matter. I care about me. Jacob wanted that blessing. So God used Jacob. Because that's who it was going to go through. But there was conflict. There was conflict in the womb, and there always has been conflict ever since. Guess what? The descendants of Esau? Jordan. What's Jordan doing? Stand by. We're going to let Israel suffer. It's very, very interesting when you start to get into all of this history and stuff. But to go back, okay, and I, this is what I'm going to use to finish up. 
Going back to Deuteronomy, chapter 12, for his name, I will choose out of you your tribes to put his name. Whose name? God's name. What is his name? We know it as Yahweh, Yehovah, Jehovah, right? And I really wish I would have put the slides up, and this is, I'm a slacker, I'm sorry. It's very interesting because we see this in Genesis, when you see in Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 2. Then you see it in Exodus chapter 3, when, when Moses goes to the Yehovah. Tell him, I am sent you, as your Bible says. I am. His name is literal meaning for is. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the present. I am the future. I am all eternity. He is. Everything in creation is because of him. He is creator. He is everything. He holds all things together, as Colossians 1 talks about. He is. And that's what his name means. And we see Jesus here in, in Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. In John 8, 48, what does Jesus do? Jesus makes the claim because the Pharisees are questioning him. And, he said, and Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him because he just committed blasphemy. Now, this is really, really interesting because his name will be proclaimed. Okay? You break down. So in Hebrew, each letter in the Hebrew language has a meaning. Okay? So the first one is Yod, Hey, Vev, Hey. That's how you spell Yahweh. Yod means hand. Hey means behold, something magnificent or beautiful. Vev means now. Hey. hey means behold. So his name, when you look at each letter, says, behold the hand that beholds the nail. That's his name. Oh, it gives me the cold chills. Because that is literally, and you can look this up. Don't just take this from what I'm saying. Behold the hand that beholds the now. You go to Matthew, and what does Matthew say? It says, you shall call him Jesus, right? But you look at the original language, and it's Yeshua, right? Yeshua. It says, why? Because he will take the sins of the people away. He will save the people from their sins. What do, does Yeshua mean? It means God's salvation. It means salvation. So what name is going to be proclaimed? This is the name of Jesus. This is God's salvation for all peoples to bless all families. And the enemy is doing everything to, he can to distort that and to make people think that this is a physical war. 
when it's been about Jesus and always will be about Jesus, to declare salvation through Israel to everybody. Does that mean we just throw Israel out? No, these are God's chosen people. God chose them and to bless them and to keep them for the very purpose for his name to be glorified, for people to come to know him, for salvation to come through. Does this mean that the Christians replace? No, 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 no. It's not mean that the Christians replace Israel. Israel has a plan. I mean, God has a plan for Israel. But he has used Israel to bring salvation through, to make his name known through, for it to be proclaimed. But there is a plan. And we stand with Israel because what is happening is the enemy is trying to destroy the promise and the covenant of God. So what does this mean? Is this leading to end times? Is it leading to end times? And Dan's going to come share with them. Thanks, Anthony. So if you want to be uh, kind of flipping in your Bible towards um, Ezekiel chapter 36, if you've been paying attention to social media, if you're stuck in that world like some of us are, um, you might have seen all kinds of stuff saying, you know, these are the last days. And if you look at, you know, Amazon or Netflix or something like that and, and search for movies about the end of times, you'll find a whole passel of them, right? This is really kind of important to us to ask, is this the end? So let me start off by just saying that we are definitely in the last days. And we have been in the last days for about 2,000 years. If, if you look at what the Bible says very, very clearly, when Peter's preaching at Pentecost, he talks about, he's, he's talk, quoting the, the prophet Joel, saying, these are the last days. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 2, says, in these last days, he, meaning God, has spoken to us by his son. And Paul, in the, the letter of the Corinthians, the first one, chapter 10, verse 11, he talks about the fact that we're those on whom the end of the ages has come. So yes, we are at the end of times but it's kind of a long end of times. And so we got to wonder, you know, is this really the end? We've got conflict in the Middle East. Um, where does that leave us? And so we're going to look at Ezekiel 36 and a little bit of Revelation. Here's what I want you to understand is if you read specifically what the Bible says about the end of the end, Israel is both a nation and a people that are following God. Okay. Uh, let me make that case for you just a little bit. We'll look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 28. <clears throat> it says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put, uh, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Okay. I, I highlighted some of the verses in there um, in yellow just to kind of point out that 
this is the 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 phraseology in here is very clear first off that Israel is going to be a nation they're going to be brought back together as a nation as one of the world's nations the other part of the phraseology that's super interesting in here is it talks about things like being sprinkled with clean water. What's that sound like? Sounds an awful lot like baptism, doesn't it? Getting a new heart, a new spirit, giving, being given a heart of flesh, having God's spirit within you. What's that sound like? That sounds like what happens after you've put your faith in Christ. Right? We have this really clear imagery in these prophetic words in the book of Ezekiel that Israel will not only be a nation, but will be a nation that is following after Christ. Right? If we look a little bit further down in Ezekiel chapter 37, there's actually a bunch of stuff in there. I cut some of it out just for time. But here's a really interesting verse. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. This is speaking about What's going to happen to Israel? My servant David will be king over them. Who is the one from the line of David that is king forever? It's Jesus. So, so in these prophecies, you have these really strong, strong words that say Israel is both going to be a nation and is also going to be following after God. And even if we fast forward into the book of Revelation, at the very end, it's not put up as like, hey, here's Israel and here's the folks that are opposed to God. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. They marched up over the broad plain. They is the, the folks that are opposed to God. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. The end battle happens between those who know Christ and those who do not. Okay? So where does that leave us with Israel? Well, it leaves us here. Is Israel a nation? Yes, Anthony just shared with us in 1948, Israel became a nation. It sure looks a whole lot like God is doing exactly what he said he'd do. Okay. Is Israel following God? Present day. Nope. Okay. A Gallup poll in 2015 said that 65% of Israelis said that they were either atheist or not religious. Present day, about 2% of the Israeli population identifies as Christian, okay? So are we in the end times? Yes. Are we getting closer to the end of the end times? Yes. Is the, the fact that Israel is a nation, does that fall into that? Absolutely, I believe, you know. Um, but are we there yet? Maybe not quite, okay? Because something's got to happen in the hearts of those who identify as the nation of Israel to bring them under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen a strong movement in that direction. So we're not quite at the end yet. But here's maybe something just to kind of finish this up with this last thought is this idea that why do we ask, is this the end? Okay, why do we ask that? And here's something I want you to think about is at the end of times, for those of us who know Jesus as Lord, this is what the, the book of Revelation clearly says. Okay? It says that at the end of times, things are going to be a little rough for, quote-unquote, the saints, and that's us, those who know Jesus as Lord. Revelation 13.7 talks about the conquering of the saints, and uh, there's several passages that talk about the martyrdom of the saints. Those who know Jesus are going to be killed for their faith. And in many places in the book of Revelation, it reminds that 
We have to have endurance as saints. So in those last days, in the end of the end days, it's going to get kind of tough, really tough, actually, for those who know Jesus. So as we ask this question, are the last days here or not, I just want to kind of throw out a, a little thought experiment to finish this up. And this is the thought experiment. What if we had some revelation from God that said, 40 days and the Antichrist rises. 40 days from today, the Antichrist will rise. What would we do? And I'd like you to think about the different possible responses. I'd I'd ask you first to think this way. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord, if you're still somewhere on that journey, think about this, is when the Antichrist rises, there's going to be a massive deception the world is going to bifurcate, and those that don't know Jesus are going to be at, get fully on board with opposing God. And if you're in that camp, if you do not currently know Jesus, and that guy shows up, you're starting down very quickly a bad road that ends in destruction. Okay? And you may say, well, this is just a thought experiment. We're not 40 days from the Antichrist. But let me tell you what, if you hit a drunk driver in 40 days, you're kind of at the same spot, right? So here's what I would say to you. If you are not convinced that Jesus is Lord, don't let 40 days go by before you figure it out. Call up me or Pastor Joe or Anthony or Richard or whoever, somebody that you know that is following, and say, I need to get this figured out. Let's have it out and figure it out. Because God has given us a, a faith that is based on evidence and reason, and and we can clear away those things that are keeping you from putting your trust in Jesus. But most of this room are not in that boat. Most in this room have already said, yes, I want to follow Christ. And so I'd ask you to think about three potential responses that I see right now. The first is, some of us, when we go, hey, this may be the end, what do we do? We go buy our AR a couple thousand rounds of ammo, survival food, and make a safe place in our basement. Okay, I'm serious. I mean, some of us do that, right? Let me tell you what, if that's the way you're thinking, rethink. Because when the Antichrist rises, you will have no chance of physically standing against him. Those are the verses we just shared about what it looks like at the end. Right? And so if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to bring my family close and we're going to shoot the bad guys, let me tell you what, you're going to be sitting there, Jesus is Lord, and shooting somebody in the head, that is not going to work. Okay? We will be standing up and saying, go ahead and kill me, Jesus is Lord. And in that, there's hope for salvation for those that don't know him yet. So don't, don't be one of those survivalists. Okay. Uh, another thing that we can do as responding as Christians is we can say, hey, you know what? Whew. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Let's just hang out and wait for it. Okay. And, and there's an element of truth in that. It's going to be awesome when Jesus comes back. But let me ask you to think about this. First off, I, I was having a little discussion on text messages yesterday with the, the other pastors saying, hey, I'm going to talk just super briefly about the rapture. What do you guys, do you believe that, that Jesus is coming back before all this bad stuff happens or in the middle or after? And, and we're kind of divided on that. And I'm not going to get into that doctrine, but here's what I want you to be thinking about. If you're thinking, I don't have to worry because he's going to sweep me away, who's the focus of that thought? 
It's me. Okay. Think about it this way. Because there's some of us that have read the Bible that don't think it's going to happen that way. And some of us that do, we can have, you know, genial, congenial arguments about that. But here's what I want you to think about is when Jesus comes back, that is going to mark judgment for millions and millions of souls. And if there's 40 days left, here's where I hope you end up. Here's the third group of kind of the Christian responses. I hope you're like, man, if there's 40 days left, I don't have very much time to bring my brother to Christ. I don't have very much time to bring my neighbor to Christ. I don't have very much time to establish my children in Christ. And that should be, when we see things transpiring in the Middle East, when we see what's going on, it shouldn't be like, hey, is this the very end? It should be, man, the end is marching closer. Let's get out there and make sure as many souls as possible join us to meet Jesus in the air, right? And, and have as many people as possible have their names written in the book of life. That should be our response. And that's kind of like the big idea. There's a physical conflict going on in Palestine right now, but that, pal- that conflict is a reflection of a spiritual battle. And that's what Anthony was pointing out to us. And that same spiritual battle is essentially happening right here. Maybe not with guns and terrorists, okay, but it's happening nonetheless, where souls are being fought for and pulled, pulled away from the truth. And you and I have a role to play in that. And so as we think about the end times, my prayer is that we would think in terms of, man, God has given me a job to do while I'm still here on this earth. And that's to get as many people as possible into Christ's kingdom as God is willing to let me, let me bring in. So that would be my encouragement to you as you think about what's going on over there. Think about the fact that we have a mission to bring the Lord Jesus to everyone we encounter. Okay? And if you're not quite there on that mission yet, like I said, let's talk about it. If you know that's your mission, don't sit back, dig in deep, and realize that we have this role to play in this spiritual battle. As Pastor Joe's been teaching us for a couple months now, there's this spiritual battle going on, and we have a part to play in it. So let's get to doing that. So I would invite you guys, if you have questions about the whole Palestine conflict, if you, Anthony has done a bunch of research, I've done a little bit of research, we've we've tried to square away the bigger picture, both biblically and and, and, kind of historically of what's going on there. If there's some stuff that you're still working through with that or trying to figure out, you're you're hearing different sides of, of stories. We would love to talk to you more about that. We would love to do it in, in a kind of an open forum here, but um, uh, we want to be kind to the nursery workers and the children workers and actually uh, close up on time. So I will just invite you after this to talk to Anthony or talk to me if you've got questions you want to kind of work through, and we'll see if we can help you out with that. But let's, let's pray right now and just ask God to make us effective for the mission that he's got us on right now. Father, when we 